But if, if you have your Bibles, turn to uh, 1 Peter. Uh, we're going to be resuming our study in 1 Peter um, chapter 2. It's been oh, four or five weeks since we last had a chance to um, open up this book and, and walk through it. So they say that the two best topics to bring up at any family gathering is religion and politics, right? And some of you just went through uh, Christmas and how many fun conversations did you have talking about the upcoming election and maybe your thoughts on um, your faith in the Lord? The two by themselves have a way of causing some to have panic attacks and others to have their blood boil. These topics seem off limits because they invoke such personal reactions. If I were to preach this sermon around the dinner table at your next family gathering, I'm sure I would get a few blank stares, folded arms, and lots of squirming. But here we are. And thankfully, in the Word of God, it is so beautifully and clearly brought to our attention. And God doesn't hide behind uh, these topics, obviously of religion, right? Because religion is the practice of our faith, and God has a lot to say about that. And politics. God has a lot to say about politics. I know that even in a church setting, this topic has the ability to cause some of you squirm. Some of you might already be ready with your rebuttal. And you don't even know what I'm going to say yet, but you're ready. And some of you are chomping at the bit. Now, we all have thoughts on this subject of government, of politics, of our response to it. And, you know, we're allowed to have our opinions. We likely agree on most of these things that I'll say. And yet we may differ on others. But my intention this morning isn't for me to share my opinions of what the Word of God says so that you can hear my opinions of the Word. My intention this morning is that we would just allow God to speak. Now, I realize that It's the Holy Spirit's work in me in preparing these messages, meaning the Holy Spirit through this vessel that has opinions. But it is really my sincere desire to present the word of God to you this morning as clear as I can. That we would hear from God and himself alone as we wrestle with these volatile subjects uh, that his word brings up. And because of that, we need to pray. So let's pray. So God, uh, this morning as we open your word, God, I just pray that you would fill me with your spirit and that you would say the things that your word necessitates. That my own feelings and convictions would fall aside as your word is proclaimed with truth. And so, God, I I ask that you would open our hearts, that your spirit would be our our teacher. That, God, as we wrestle with these things, and, and Lord, we we can feel very passionate about uh, things concerning government and politics and our response and all those things. God, that we would just allow you 
to have first place. That you would have the primary voice in our lives. Not what we hear on the TV or the news or the newspaper or whatever it is. So that uh, the pundits and opinions would fall aside as we hear you clearly. And so work in our midst and be glorified as we come under the authority and under the power of your holy word. And we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Quick question. How many of you are looking forward to the next political year? Right? It's an election year. It's a presidential election year. Oh, it's going to be a lot of fun, right? I can't wait. The constant ads, the promises made, the verbal attacks, and the general unrest that comes with every presidential cycle. I feel like we are more at a crossroads of culture and politics than ever before. And so the question that is before us this morning is, what is the Christian's response to the government they live under? That's really what Peter is asking and, and answering. You know, uh, and the question isn't specifically stated here, but the assumption is that he is writing about our response because there are some hanging questions in the minds of his readers about how they should be living in the world that they find themselves in. And so in, in reality, what gives me great hope about this subject is that God is the one who is asking and answering the question because it's his word and he inspired Peter under the power of the Holy Spirit to say these things. And God does it so clearly. Like there, there really shouldn't be any question for us when we read through this passage and say, oh, right. Yep, that, that's clear to us of how we should respond So the question, or not the question, but really the, the response for us then is, are we going to listen obediently? Like as we hear God's word and as we apply it to our lives, that where the rubber meets the road is, will I obey what God is saying? Now, if you remember, or if you can that far back, we began our study in 1 Peter considering the call to stand firm in the midst of a world that was full of trouble. Peter wrote this letter to strangers and aliens that were scattered in in the area of Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And the climate that he was writing in wasn't one of ease and comfort for them. In fact, they were being persecuted. They were scattered. He called them aliens as they were, as their lives were, were turned upside down because they found faith in Jesus. So locally, these believers were kind of shunned by their community. Whether they came from a Jewish background or a Gentile background, because they found faith in Jesus. And remember, faith in Jesus is a relatively brand new thing for these people. Like we're talking 25, 30 years. Like first generation Christians that are coming to faith have placed their trust in this man, Jesus of Nazareth, who said, And did amazing and wonderful things. But he also said and did things that caused people to be very upset. 
And so these people are living in this upside down world, in this climate where life has radically changed for them. And Peter writes this letter to encourage them to press on, to understand that they are pilgrims passing through to their eternal home, which has secured for them through Jesus Christ. And Peter tries to help them to understand they're not home yet. Brothers and sisters, you're not home yet. You're passing through. But on this way through this pilgrim land, they're to keep their attention on the one who provided for them, who's guaranteed their future. And as they keep their focus on Jesus, and for that matter, not only them, but us, we are called to a life of holiness. We are to be holy because God is holy. And in this pursuit of holiness, God isn't just concerned about the destination of where we're headed. He's concerned about the here and now. And that's really important for us to understand that Jesus and, and life in him isn't just about what is to come, but it is right now. And right now is what we're called to consider in this whole discussion about our place and understanding in a world that is broken and fallen, that is led by broken and fallen people that form a governmental structure. We're called to holiness in the midst of what seems like an unholy life. And we do this uh, pursuit of holiness through obedience in the enduring word of God. That's how First Peter 1 ends and transitions into chapter 2. That we are to be as newborn babes feeding off of the milk of the word of God. The word of God should be our source of nourishment. It should be the only place we go to to feed our souls. Now, that's an important thing to understand. Because there's a lot of good things that seem helpful that we can get into ruts that replace the true Word of God. Like, I'm a, a proponent of doing devotions. That's obvious, right? But if we're, our only contact with spiritual truth is what we read in a devotional guide and not the Word, there's something wrong with that. Like, there's nothing wrong for us to spend time reading large chunks of the Bible. Just reading it. And you might say, well, I, I might need some help to guide me. I don't quite understand what I'm reading. Well, here's the great thing. If you read large chunks of the Bible faithfully, you're going to start seeing the pieces put together. And God, through His Spirit, will help you. And so, we are to grow in our understanding of the Word of God and nourishing ourselves from it. And as we grow, we come to know we are placed in a far greater community. A living house with Christ as the cornerstone. And we press onward as, as one who were not a people. We were once not a people. And now we're a people, the people of God. And so building on this theme, belonging to God's house, which is a spiritual house, being a people who were once not a people, 
Peter shifts through the practical application of what it means to belong to God's community. As people who are called to live excellent lives, what does this look like in a fallen world? What does this look like for us today? Like if you're saying, okay, I get everything that you're saying. How does it change the way that I live? This is now Peter saying, this is how it changes the way you live. In Second Peter, yeah, in First Peter chapter two, verses thirteen through First Peter chapter three, verse seven, Peter is going to provide several examples of what it looks like to live a holy life in God's community, and it's all built around one theme. In fact, it's it, Peter uses a technique that was used at that time and is still used today that is called the sandwich technique. Like what he does is he gives you what we're going to read today is part of the bread. And next week is going to be more of that bread. And then tucked in the middle is the meat, the main point. And then after that main point, he goes back to some more bread and he kind of squishes it together. And he says, I want you to focus on the main thing that shows itself in these ways. Here's what Peter is saying to these believers and to us today. A life of excellent behavior in a fallen world is known more by our submission to authority than anything else. That's the main point of everything that Peter is going to say in in this section of Scripture. Now, that's a fun word, right? Submission. How many of you love hearing that? We grow up in a world that screams individuality, Freedom and liberty from tyranny. My rights to live the way that I feel is best for me. And any talk of submission in our world today falls on deaf ears because people think I can live my life however I want. I live in the land of the free. I can do what I want, when I want, however I want. And how dare anyone tell me that I have to submit to someone else. That's the world we live in. And Peter says, the way of God is to actually submit yourself to those that are above you. I mean, this is scandalous stuff even in the 21st century. And I, would, I dare to say even scandalous stuff in the church today. Because I think sometimes we, we think we're free in Christ, and Peter's going to talk about that, and that means that we're free to live however we want. Because Jesus is Savior. But that's not the testimony of the Word of God. So here in our text today, we're called to submit to government and those who lead us. We're called to submit to government and those who lead us. It's a both and. Some of you already may feel uncomfortable at that statement. So let me clarify something to you. Look at verse 15 of Second, or 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 15 says, for such is the will of God. So if you're uncomfortable by any of those statements, if you're squirming in your seat thinking, No, I don't have to. 
here's what I'm going to say to you. If you love Jesus Christ, this is God's will for your life. And any time the word of God says, for such is the will of God, you better do it. Like we, we often go through life wondering, God, what is your will for me? And we think it's this vague, nebulous kind of thing. But when the scriptures specifically say, for this is the will of God, we better lean into it and say, you know what? This isn't a question. This isn't something that I should debate with God about. This is something for me as his child to say, yes, Lord, I trust you, even when it seems impossible. For such is the will of God. This is what and how he wants us to live. And so let's unpack the text, verse 13 and 14. Let me read them for you. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That's lovely. Put that on a a picture, right? Hang that in your house. But remember Peter's audience. This isn't some kind of pie in the sky Uh, platitude that is aimed at those who are in a good situation because it's easy to submit to those that it's easy to submit to because you know they're doing good who is peter writing to a group of believers that have been scattered and persecuted because of their faith in jesus and oh by the way what empire did they belong to the roman empire How did the Roman Empire feel about Jesus and his followers in the first century? Oh, not good at all. Not good at all. In fact, we're going to read later on what some of that looked like. So they're not facing an idealistic situation in the sense of everything's great. In fact, they're facing an idealistic situation of Everything that could go wrong was going wrong. And Peter says, submit to them. Submit to them and submit to the institution that governs you. These people were scattered, persecuted. Their lives were turned upside down. Submit. Now we submit which comes from a Greek word, and the Greek word is hupotasso. It means to be placed under someone. You willingly place yourself under the authority of someone else. That's the idea behind this word. And so in submission, you're not waiting for the person to ask. But what you're saying is, I am willingly placing myself under your leadership. I'm not going and dragging and screaming. I'm not kicking my feet. I'm not complaining all along the way. I'm willingly subjecting myself under you. Peter says we submit under the leadership of others. Now this next point is important. And you can't miss this in the text. We submit ourselves to every human institution and to every individual in that human institution, not because they are worthy of our submission, but because it's the Lord's desire. Listen to that. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake 
Brothers and sisters, why are you called to submit to every human institution and every governing authority and every person that is in leadership? Not because it's the nice thing to do. We do it because it's the Lord's desire for you. Listen, by submitting to every human institution, we honor God by obeying his word. When you submit to every human institution in your life, and submit to the leadership of those who are in those human institutions, and you willingly place yourself under their leadership, you are honoring God by obeying His Word. Now, for as crooked and broken human governmental systems may seem, and not even may, let's just say are. Oh, oh, I get the amens on that one. (laughs) Hang on with me. Man, we need like groups like this more often. So, <laughs> Human government is an instrument ordained by God for the good of mankind. Turn with me to Romans 13. Just a little piece back in your New Testament there. Romans 13. And this is what Paul says about the place that human government has in the world that we live in. So Peter is writing the things we're studying. Paul wrote these things that we're now reading. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, everyone or whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom tax is due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. If we just had the word of God and I said nothing else, we have enough to leave here today and say, okay, I know exactly what I need to do. There shouldn't be any question. Tax time's coming. Pay your taxes. You mean pay my taxes to the government that doesn't spend my taxes well? Or what about when the government is paying for things that are contrary to what the Word of God says? Pay your taxes. Do those things that God requires of you. 
Paul says that the governing authorities are ordained by God. And, and I don't know if you caught this in Romans 13. But in verse 4, he says, They're also a minister of God to you for good. Civil government was ordained after the flood in Genesis for the good of mankind. Because if there was no civil government, the world would be chaos. You may not like all the rules or laws, but be thankful we have rules and laws or it would be the Wild West wherever we went. That's the way a fallen world would live. Peter builds upon this thought and he says that we not only submit to the institution, but the person in the office. And remember, this king that is mentioned is the same king in the Roman world who was named Caesar. And especially for Peter, the king that he mentions who is Caesar is named Nero. Well, what do we know about this guy Nero? Well, he was nuts. He, I mean, the cheese slid completely off the cracker. <laughs> he, he lost his brain. What do we know about him? Well, he was infamously known for his harsh treatment of Christians by blaming them for a fire that historians say he set. He set the fire, it ravaged Rome, and then he turn, in turn blamed the Christians because he was looking for a way to persecute them. How did he persecute them? Well, one of the most horrendous punishments that Nero is known for is that he took Christians in Rome and he hung them on a cross and crucified them upside down. And as they were dying on the cross, he covered them in pitch and he lit them on fire and he set them in his own personal gardens to light his gardens at night. Peter says... Submit to the king. You want to know some more irony about what Peter is saying here? It will be this king, Nero, that will crucify Peter. He will be martyred for his faith a few years after he wrote these words. This is the same Peter that on the night in which Jesus was betrayed in, in, this, in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Remember what Peter did when the Romans came in, the soldiers came in with the religious leaders? He grabbed the sword and lopped off the ear of one of the, the guards. And Jesus said, no, no, don't do that. Listen, I can call on angels, myriads of angels from heaven to protect me if I needed it. And he healed the guy's ear and Peter learned a lesson. And it's that lesson that he builds upon here in 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter called us to submission because it was the Lord himself that taught his disciples to render the things that belong to Caesar, to Caesar. In Matthew twenty two twenty one, they said Caesar's and they were talking about the taxes and like, who do you pay taxes to and all that? And Jesus says, 
Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. Government has a valid and necessary God-appointed purpose for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. Some of you might say, that seems great in theory, but that doesn't seem to be the world that I'm living in. But we trust God. That as a whole, government is an instrument to punish evildoers and to praise those who do right. That's why people that live peaceful lives under uh, the government typically don't have issues. Really. I mean, by and large, the world we live in, this is what we see. And then Peter builds on it in verse 15, and he says, For such is the will of God, that by doing right you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Submission to authority is the strongest apologetic against the view that Christians are never up to any good. Right? We're not this weird, strange, closed-door society that is up to no good, you know, pulling all of these strings and trying to subvert the authority of the world that we live in. Because in the first century world, that was the fear of the early church. See, these were a group of people that had placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who was their what? King. And what did the king say when he was teaching his followers? I'm building my father's kingdom. And it's an eternal kingdom. And in the first century world, especially the Roman world, there was this great fear that Christians were up to no good, always trying to find ways to subvert Roman authority so that God's kingdom would prevail. Now we know that God's kingdom is going to prevail, but all along the way until the king returns, we are to submit ourselves under the authority of the human government that we find ourselves in. Peter says that our submission becomes a way of good works that silence the false accusations of those who seek to undermine the message of the gospel. There would be nothing, I don't say nothing greater, that I'm sure there would be things that are, are of equal value. Uh, but I'll say this way, we at North Anvil Bible Church would do ourselves good to ingratiate ourselves to the governing authorities around us and be a lighthouse of the good works of God in the community that we find ourselves in. Like the people that don't know Jesus in our community that are either, um, you know, in a civic way serving our community or protecting our community. They should know about North Anvil Bible Church as a place that does good works for the glory of God. That's we should be known by that. Not the you know, people shouldn't be driving by and say, well, what's going on up on that building up on the hill there? We never hear anything about them. They're kind of, you know, to themselves and closed off. No, we should be ingratiating ourselves to this world and especially this community that we live in. So find ways, and we need to find ways uh, to be the hands and feet of Jesus here. When we obey the law, we prevent unnecessary and illegitimate criticism to the gospel. Jesus did so in Matthew twenty two twenty one that we just read, right? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And then in Matthew 17, um, you, you find this interesting story, again, around taxes. 
um, that shows itself, right? It, it was time to pay the taxes. And what did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Go fish. And what happened? Well, they went fishing and then they caught a fish and then that fish was a coin. And he said, take that coin and pay the taxes that were due. So you might say at this point, in theory, this seems great. But when is there a time to disobey? When is there a time to disobey government and not submit? Well, that's a great question, and I'm glad you asked it. The Bible is clear. When civil law and God's law are in opposition, the Bible sanctions, if not compels, the believer to protest or disobey. When the civil law and God's law are in opposition. Let's be very clear on something. When the civil law and God's law are in opposition, not the civil law and my preferences. When the civil law and God's law are in opposition, we have grounds to disobey. Because when we disobey, we must be sure it is not because the government has denied us our rights, but because it has denied us God's rights. Chew on that one for a minute. So, what are some examples of this? Well, we find two in the Old Testament in the book of Daniel, and we find one in the New Testament. In Daniel chapter 3, this is Daniel, right? He's in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar is the king of Babylon. And there was the decree sent out that they were to serve and worship him and all the images of him. And Daniel says, but if not, be it known, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, that law was in defiance of God's law and Daniel had grounds to stand on. And then a few chapters later, the situation in in Babylon didn't change for the better. In Daniel 6, we read that there was a law that no prayers were to be given to anyone but Nebuchadnezzar. When Daniel, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, the law was enacted, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. See, the law said you can't pray. And Daniel said, that law has no power over me because God's law is primary. And then there's a New Testament example in Acts chapter 5. The guy that writes 1 Peter 2 is also a part of the incident in Acts chapter 5. Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. Now, what is he saying that in reference to? In, in and around Jerusalem at this time in Acts chapter 5, the church was growing and the leaders in and around Jerusalem, we're saying we forbid you to teach about Jesus, especially that he is the Christ. And Peter says, we have to obey God. God 
commands us to go and tell others about Him. And so, they were compelled to disobey. But make no mistake about it. There will often be consequences when we choose to disobey a civil governing rule that is in contrast to the word of God. What happened to Peter? He was thrown in jail. What's going to happen to Peter in a few years from writing First Peter? He will be killed because he did not deny his faith in Jesus Christ. There are often consequences. But God is greater than the consequences. And he gives grace to those who trust him. So verses 16 and 17 say, Act as free men. And do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as a bond slave of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Now, in all this talk about submission, one may think it then means that we are not free. And yet Peter says, act as free men. And you might think, how do I act like a free man if I have to submit? That doesn't make sense. How can I be free And submit. But Peter says, act as free men and don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. See, we are free. Christ has set us free. We are under no obligation to God in order to gain his acceptance. We are accepted by God on the basis of what Christ has done for us on the cross. We are also free from the tyranny of Satan, no longer his slaves. Church, you are free. And yet Peter says we are to not use our freedom for the sake of selfish gain or for the purpose of sin. Don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Use it as bond slaves. What is a bond slave? A bond slave was one that willingly placed themselves under the subjection of another and became their slave. Like they they weren't bought, they said, I'm going. And that's what Peter says we are to be, because really, in this way, we are never free. We're either slaves of sin or slaves of God. There's no in-between. There's no morally neutral people. There aren't people that just kind of find themselves in a season of freedom in their life. You're either a slave of sin, which leads to death, or a slave of God, which leads to life. And Peter says what our freedom is for. What's our freedom for? Freedom is for serving. That's why we're free to serve. Freedom to serve those above us in authority. And then he says in verse 17, Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Notice the progression. Honor all people. We should honor, respect all people. 
All people are worthy of honor, if not for any other reason, because they reflect the image of God. They are created in his image. They are the what philosophers have called the Imago Dei. We are all created in the image of God. And let's be honest, this gets lost on many in the church. We attack the person when we disagree with what they do. We rip down their character and the image that they are created in. Let's be even more honest. How many careless words have Christians been guilty of saying about a politician with whom they disagree with their politics or agenda? Whether or not we like it, what a person is doing, we above anyone else should honor all people, not just the office. We should honor the person. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Notice the progression. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Not all that we honor will be loved. But Peter says we should love those who love Christ. Those who belong to him, who are in the brotherhood, we should love. We should sacrificially care for those who belong to Jesus. And then he says, fear God. Peter says that we should show right reverence to God for who he is as the Holy One. He is the sovereign king. Fear God, honor the king, honor all people, honor the king. Even when it's difficult, honor Caesar, honor the president, honor the governor. Fun? We're to honor those who occupy an office that places them in the God-ordained position of authority that is over us. So as we close, and as we enter this next election cycle and beyond, I ask that you consider the biblical mandate to engage the world you live in with an attitude of submission and humility as you honor those who are in authority over you. Church, it is low-hanging fruit to sling insults when you disagree with someone when you disagree with their politics. It's low-hanging. I would like to invite you that when you feel compelled to say anything about someone who you disagree with, that you heed Paul's exhortation that he gave to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. And if you're wondering what that is, it's printed on your bulletin on this side at the top. So next time you hear something that causes your blood to boil, and you're just like, what an... Whatever. You know, this is church and this is our live feed. We don't want to defame it with any terribleness, right? When you feel that way, what should you do? Pray. First of all, then, I urge that entreaties and prayers and petitions and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Before you race to Facebook or Twitter or X or whatever platform you want to run to and say whatever you want to say, pray. 
instead of complaining or attacking, pray. Pray for them. Pray that God would give them wisdom. Uh, I didn't have this written down, but uh, here's another helpful tip. Turn off the radio and TV. It's easy to find people that feel like us in that moment. And then what are they just doing to the fire that is in us? And we watch a lot of it and we get super excited about it. And we're ready to run to Washington and do whatever it takes. Turn it off. And pray. And how would you feel and think? And you might say, well, I have the freedom to do those things. Yes, you do. But you also have the freedom to obey God and pray. And so pray. And always remember that no matter what human institution is over you, God is a gracious and good king. Let's pray.